0: From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen.
1: I think we are way too much sacrificing what could be robust relationships with people, because of a certain way that they think or believe that is different from ours. And I think Fred Rogers especially, maybe Superman too, I think he probably would too, but as a real life person, Fred Rogers, I think he would encourage us to strive for those robust relationships much more than just being right.
0: Things Not Seen is made possible in part through the generosity of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them, please go to patreon.com slash not seen radio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash not seen radio. Thank you.
2: Support for this podcast comes from Halo Top Ice Cream. Do you ever should yourself? I do. I should work out more. I should eat more vegetables. I should go on a cleanse. You see, Halo Top has discovered that being hard on yourself like that, well, it's toxic. It's hard to feel good when there's a little voice always telling you what you should do. Thankfully, Halo Top has a solution. Stop shoulding yourself. Sure, it's easier said than done, but with Halo Top, at least you can take the shoulds out of dessert. Lower calorie and a good source of protein, you can have a scoop or eat the whole pint and still feel good about yourself. Grab a Halo Top pop and you can stop shoulding yourself anywhere, anytime. Hell, double fist. This time of day is prime time for shooting yourself, and no one wants that. Available in pops, dairy-free, and a new keto series, Halo Top Frozen Desserts put an end to shoulds once and for all. Halo Top, stop shooting yourself.
0: Welcome to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. We're happy today to welcome back a frequent guest on our program, Rick Lee James. He's a worship leader, a singer, a songwriter, a speaker, and an author, and he hosts a podcast. He's got over two decades of experience in ministry, and over the years... Rick Lee James has used music to share the gospel in numerous venues from the National Worship Leader Conference to the world-famous Ryman Auditorium in Nashville, Tennessee. He's the host of the podcast Voices in My Head, and he also is the curator of a Twitter feed called Mr. Rogers Say, which features quotes from the late and great Mr. Rogers. And so we're happy today to have him back. He's got a lot of projects going on. But also, just in this particular moment, I thought it was a good time to check in with him with all the things that are happening here in the world. So first of all, Rick Lee James, welcome back to Things Not Seen.
1: Thank you very much. I'm always so glad to get to catch up with you, David.
0: Well, so as we're recording this, we are in the midst of the lockdown for the COVID-19 pandemic. That's been going on for about eight or nine weeks, depending on what part of the country you're in. But we've also just passed... The Christian holiday of Pentecost, the Christian Mm -hmm. remembrance of Pentecost, the so called birthday of the church. And over Pentecost weekend, we had not only the tongues of fire of the Holy Spirit, but also in many cities, actual fire as protests and police began to clash and become riots. There was destruction and burning throughout the nation. And so I I guess my first question to you, both as my friend and as a minister, is how are you and how are the people in your community?
1: Well, we are in, in Springfield, Ohio, so we're not in a huge city, but we have big cities around us. And I think in some ways, We've been doing very well compared to other places. Uh, Ohio went into lockdown, I think, 10 weeks ago now for us. I think maybe we were one of the first in, in the country to actually do the lockdown. As a result of that, there's been very few cases in my city, thank God. Uh, but we've still been very cautious. We've been social distancing. My family and I are all well. But I would say, probably like most people, we are very tired. <laughs> uh, it's It's a very interesting time, and I know everyone is experiencing it in different ways. I just happened to be the, the father of a seven-year-old who, you know, his school, like, like most kids, I think everybody in the U.S., he didn't get to finish school this year at school, so we became the teachers. Plus, my wife is also a teacher for her job, and so she had to learn how to do teaching at home, which was really exhausting and tiring for her. It, it was a challenge for all of us, and then I have been still working at my church. And we have never closed down. We've closed the building, but we never stopped doing services. We've had a drive-in service every week where people, the the theme has been come as you are, but stay in your car (laughs) because we broadcast the service over an AM radio frequency. And we stand literally at the back door of the church and I lead using a guitar and our pastor preaches and, and some of the other staff does various things, but we've all been being very careful to social distance from each other in this time. And we've also been doing online services in addition. So uh, like many pastors, I have become a producer and video editor, and I've been putting together services online, and it's very busy, but we are just about to get back to where we are starting to meet together inside again in a few weeks. So I guess all that is to say, like everybody else, I'm feeling a bit fatigued right now <laughs> from the pandemic alone. And then when you throw in this horrible murder of George Floyd last week and, and all of the, the things that were are coming as a result of that. And we have uh, several policemen who attend my church who they are very tired and exhausted and they want to do the right thing. And they are trying to to help with many of these gatherings that are happening all around us although our city put a, a six o'clock curfew last night and there it's just been, I, I feel like this has been a perfect storm. Of, it's almost like the third strike. You know, we've, we've already had politically tension in our nation, even before the pandemic happened, it just felt, you know, so volatile. And then we had this lockdown and now this murder that happened and it just feels like everything is kind of erupting. And so I guess I'm like everyone else. I I'm very tired (laughs) at this point and I'm sorry if I went on way too long with that answer, but it, it just feels like a very trying time right now, for sure.
0: No, I and I, it's no problem to speak at length about this, because there's a lot to say. Before we get too far into the back half of what you said, I want to linger for a moment. You mentioned that you've been having the back door of the church come as you are, but stay in your car kind of meetings in mm-hmm. the parking lot and broadcasting over an AM station, the church services. How has your congregation reacted to the shift? Have they let you know that they're feeling the loss of that, or are they finding that to be a reasonable substitute for worship, or what has their response been?
1: You know, the response has actually been quite wonderful for our people. We have a lot of people who don't want to come out, but I think for many, especially as we began our lockdown, just having some place to go where they felt like they could be safely distanced from each other, but still have a place to go and kind of wave at each other and maybe, you know, talk car to car to each other i think it, they they have been wonderful they've been very grateful we had 70 cars in our parking lot this last sunday and it's not like the first week we have tried it it just seems like you know we've we've had a lot of people consistently that have wanted to come and gather and be a part and we've actually had a lot of folks tell us that they're grateful for it because they don't quite feel comfortable yet you know coming back in our building the, the state has said we can if we want to, but our church wisely, the board got together and said, you know, let's not, let's not rush back into this, and we need a good plan for how to help keep people safe when they do come back in the building. And some of our people just take part in our online service on Wednesdays and Sundays, and they've said they're going to continue doing that for the foreseeable future, even after we start opening our doors again. So, it, you know, we've had a lot of different reactions. I think our people really miss each other. But it has been good that we're in this age where we can connect in some ways, and I think that's helped us a lot. That parking lot service is something a lot of churches haven't had maybe the privilege of having, and, and I'm, I'm grateful that we've had that because I think it really has enabled us to, to not lose connection completely.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're happy to welcome back to the show today a frequent guest on our show, the singer-songwriter and worship leader Rick Lee James, and we're talking about a variety of topics today, from ministry to music to Mr. Rogers, and so please do stay with us as this conversation continues. Well, I want to shift for a moment because, as I mentioned just a moment ago, you're not just a worship leader there in Ohio, but you're also a performing singer-songwriter, a charting singer-songwriter, one that uh, is a a long-standing fixture on uh, on the contemporary Christian music scene. And I want to ask you, as a performer— as a person who part of your livelihood has been involved in traveling to places and playing your music for crowds, how has the COVID-19 lockdown changed your life and your livelihood over these past 10 weeks?
1: Uh, it has changed it really significantly. I, I miss being able to, to go out and play music for people. When the, the lockdown First, started and they recommended that we stay in our homes and shelter in place. I was fortunate that a guitar company who, who I'm endorsed by, Breed Love Guitars, uh, they actually let me do a in my home concert online on their Facebook page. And, and you can still find it on their Facebook page. And it was, you know, about a half hour concert. And uh, it, it was a lot of fun to do that. But, but really, sitting in a room by yourself talking to people who may or may not be there is is uh, it's it's hard to get energy from a situation like that you can see that they're viewing it online and that's wonderful but i really miss the interaction especially when i'm doing songs that are meant to be sung together you know there's a w- worship music has a bit of a feel of almost the kind of gatherings that somebody like Pete Seeger would do sometimes, you know, where he really wanted the crowd to sing along and he wants that participation. And, and I, I really do. I long for participation whenever I'm playing, I try to do a lot of music that allows people to participate. So I really miss it. There's, I feel like there's a piece of my, my heart that's missing. That being said, I have been so busy with helping out at our church and working at our church that it really hasn't affected our livelihood. They have, our people have been so gracious to continue giving during this time. And they've been able to even give a little extra uh, to me just because I've been doing so much more and I haven't had the other income from traveling right now. And that is such a gift. I know so many of my friends who are not bivocational like I am. And and this has been a real blow to them for all this time that, and who knows how much longer it'll be before they'll be able to get out and play for crowds again. So it has been a a real change for sure, but I'm looking forward to better days. And part of what goes on in a musician's mind is, I hope they still want to hear me when this is all over. You know, I hope I can still get bookings and when when venues start booking again, and I'm thankful that there have been a number of radio stations uh, that, that do play independent artists that have been still playing my music And I'm so grateful for that because it still allows some connection. But to sum it all up, I I really miss it, and I can't wait to play for people again.
0: Well, and uh, you you both play for people and you pray for people. And uh, before we go to break, I want to linger on now one other piece of of what you said a a moment ago, and that is you have— members of your congregation who are police officers. I'm sure that you have members of your congregation who maybe have been directly affected by the yeah. violence that's been going on. And as a as a person who is involved in ministry, I'm just wondering, kind of, both how how do you minister to people who are in that diverse kind of situation, who may be on two sides of the political pole in a given moment, And how do you make that work and keep the congregation kind of whole and together as you do?
1: Well, that's a great question, David. It's really hard. I I know talking to some of the officers Sunday morning, they are tired. And, and, you know, they, they were the first ones to tell me before I was even seeing it in the news that a lot of the rioting and things that are happening are not from people in our local area. They are very aware that there are instigators that come in and i know we've started seeing things on the news and online that it's not the black lives matter folks that are doing the vandalism and the fires for the most part it seems to be these these troublemakers that are coming in to almost prove a point or I, I don't even know what their end goal is i guess just to create chaos and like the police officers in my church are very aware of that and they want to help and they seriously want to give voice to people whose voices are not being heard and i'm grateful one of our officers yesterday i talked to him on the phone and he's actually studying to become a pastor and he's, he's uh, just got approved from our local district in the church of the Nazarene that I'm a part of that they were going to give him his district minister's license so that he can start doing that and you know if, if it came to it he would be able to actually start pastoring a church with this license uh, under the, the guidance of like local ministry boards and things like that and And just before he told me that on the call, he said, that was really good news I needed today because the other part of my day was I was trying to get protesters off of the interstate, you know, (laughs) because um, their lives were at risk. They were putting people in the car's lives at risk. And then I have people who are, you know, good friends who who are are black people that are really feeling a lot of pain right now. I mean, I, I think we're all feeling it to some level, but those of us with a privileged state of being white in this country. We just don't understand the full hurt that is going on there. And uh, and I've had friends who, who are very gracious and very kind, and I've had friends who feel like we should just burn it all down. You know, they've, they've had it for so long, and it's been so hard on them. You mentioned Pentecost before, and I think apart from the Holy Spirit, I don't know that we have a chance to be able to minister in any meaningful way. And I, I was thinking on Sunday when the miracle of Pentecost happened, we often focus on the story and acts of people speaking and everyone hearing. But I think the miracle of the story is not so much that they spoke, it's that people were hearing in all these different languages, that they were listening, and that what they were hearing was making a significant difference because for whatever reason, God decided that moment was when He was going to use the church. And I feel like too often A lot of us should probably be quiet. I know that for me as a white male who is coming to grips more all the time with just how privileged I am, it may not sound like it from all the talking I'm doing on this podcast today, but I am trying to listen more and I am trying to hear. And if the Holy Spirit can do that miracle again and again with us through Pentecost, that we can do our best to hear each other and do what we can to help. I think that's the best hope we have uh, for staying united as a community together.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're happy to be welcoming back Rick Lee James, who's a frequent guest here on our program. He's a worship leader, a singer, a songwriter, and a podcast host. We'll be talking to him throughout the hour. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press.
2: more from your morning cup introducing starbucks coffee with golden turmeric the taste you love blended with turmeric ginger and cinnamon for a balanced morning learn about starbucks coffee with golden turmeric by visiting at home.starbucks.com/more
0: Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Rick Lee James. Now, you may recognize his name because he's been on the program several times before. He's a worship leader, a singer, a songwriter, a speaker, an author, and a podcast host, and we've talked to him about all of those aspects of his journey at various times when he's been a guest on the program, and today we're talking kind of about all those things at once. Rick, I want to shift the conversation a little bit to your first album, which was an album called Called Basement Psalms Live, and that Psalms, P-S-A-L-M-S, like the book of the Bible. You wrote a companion book to that album called Out of the Depths, A Songwriter's Journey Through the Psalms, and we've talked about that album before on an earlier program, but I, I want to ask you, as we're continuing to talk about both the COVID-19 pandemic and the recent violent outbreaks in cities across the United States, how do scriptures affect Or how can we utilize scriptures to help us get a lens to understand the present moment? I guess what I want to ask you in short is, what good are the Psalms at a time like this?
1: Well, I think if we were to take the Psalms seriously, they help us to have words that we may not know how to say and how to pray, and words to sing that we might not otherwise sing. The Psalms specifically are are so unique in the Bible in that they are directed to God for the most part. They gave Israel a voice, uh, something to sing when they didn't always know what to say. And I think there are times, and I'm finding myself personally in a time right now where even this morning as I woke up and just before I went to bed last night, I was asking God, like, What are we to do right now, Lord? This whole situation is just awful. I don't know how to minister. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what words to say right now. And there's a sense in which the Spirit gives us words to pray through this ancient book called the Psalms. There are words for people who have been oppressed and who need to cry out, uh, literally out of the depths. They are crying to the Lord for salvation. They're asking very hard questions. They are lamenting as much or maybe even more sometimes than they are praising. But it's important, I think, that we have those things. There are even, even some things that I think might be the most helpful right now called imprecatory psalms. And usually we look at those and we think, well, I can't imagine praying for th- Things like, Lord, break the teeth out of their mouth, <laughs> or to be harsh with them, or, or may their children, you know, if you're, you're praying against someone that is your enemy, there are literally prayers in the Psalms that are about, you know, let my enemies' children be fatherless, let them go about hungry and broken and poor. And the reason I say that those things are helpful is not because I think it's helpful to use that kind of language all the time, and sometimes I struggle with that even being in Scripture. But as a Christian, I look at those through the lens of Jesus Christ. And I think we can come to God with those prayers and come to God with those frustrations. And sometimes, you know, you fill in the blank with whoever your enemy is. And we can pray that out and say, Lord, just do to them what I wish would happen. But it's important for us in the light of Jesus to look at what he reveals to us about the heart of God. And for us to know that when we finish our tirade and say, Lord, do all these terrible things to my enemy, that Jesus says, no. (laughs) He said, but I'm going to teach you how to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I think that's a very important distinction. I think we need that. Maybe those Psalms are there to help us get that aggression out in, in maybe a way that doesn't hurt anyone. I know some people might want to take them literally, but I think if we're going to be faithful to the gospel of Jesus, we have to look at it and say, okay, it's all right to let God know how we're feeling, but now what does God feel about how we need to respond?
0: I just want to say it's so helpful to have you say that, because one of the things I wanted to ask you about was, in particular, Psalm 137, and for listeners who are unfamiliar with that psalm, it begins with the phrase, by the rivers of Babylon, we basically sat down and we wept as we remembered Zion, and then the the captors, the Babylonians, sort of say, hey, play us some of the old songs of your old, you know, play us some of those old-time songs of your homeland, and... This is one of those psalms that you were saying that ends with a really violent image of basically, we're not going to be happy when we play the songs of our homeland. We're going to be happy when we take your children and bash their heads against the stones. Yeah. And that to me, I mean, I think one of the things that we have to understand is that the Bible gives us, and this is exactly what you're saying, language of revolt and revolting language. It gives us this moment when the speaker may not be acting on it, but is definitely feeling that I want to lash out. I want to destroy something. I want to destroy property, and I want to destroy other human lives because I feel like my life has been destroyed. And you mentioned earlier the race factor of all of this, and I think it's very important because we're living in a time when there's a power structure in our country of white christianity and white christianity okay. as a some people that I've been listening to the last couple of days White Christianity kind of wants to skip over the whole repenting part and get right to the forgiveness part. Yeah. And one of the things that's important, if I'm hearing you correctly, about a psalm like Psalm 137 is for people who have comfort and power to sit with that last image and say, wow, there are people in the world that want to kill my children because of what I have done to them, even if I haven't done anything to them. Does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, it makes sense. And a psalm like that, I, I read that through modernize. And I think, what a a terrible, what a terrible thing to say. We want to dash your infants on the rocks, you know. And yet, we so desperately need, before we get to that forgiveness, we need to get to repentance first. And in order for a person to really, I think, be able to forgive, it needs to be acknowledged from the person who has to do the forgiving on some level they have to be able to tell the ones who have transgressed against them, I'm not forgiving you because it's not costing me anything. I was watching some, some mothers this morning who have all lost, they were on the news, and, and all three of these mothers had lost children due to police violence because their sons were black. And I thought, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear the grace and the wisdom that's coming off of these ladies who have suffered such tremendous loss And it was as if they were carefully trying to say, my loss is so deep and my hurt is so significant. And to those who did this, you have hurt me deeply. Forgiveness is not a matter of saying, well, it's okay, let's move on. Forgiveness comes at a great cost to those who are offering forgiveness. They may have to come to us sometimes and we may have to allow them to get in our face. And tell us all those terrible things. I, I'd like to take your kids and do what you did to my kids, you know, because that's what they're feeling. And it's true and it's honest and it hurts. But what a powerful thing when those same people have such grace that comes up within them to say, but even though this is so costly, I forgive you. And I'm astounded by that, to be honest. I'm astounded by so many stories of forgiveness I've seen. I'm, I'm astounded by even in this situation, think of all the riots that are happening right now and protests and things that have happened. I'm amazed there haven't been more deaths. Yes, there has been damage and there has been destruction, and I'm, I, I think that's terrible and, and that shouldn't be something that we encourage by any means. But I'm so grateful on some level that there have been a lot more broken windows than there have been broken bones. Does that make sense at all, David? Because like, if you read stories about like the, the protests in the 60s, there was so much death and so much. In some ways, this seems so bad right now, but in some ways, I'm so grateful for grace that I am seeing coming from people.
0: It does make sense, and one of the things that I want to linger on is that that phrase you just gave to me, which is that this forgiveness is costly. It's costly for the one who is doing the forgiving. It's not simply a matter of saying, I forgive you, like some kind of Hallmark card, but it, it almost, from your description, it almost takes physical effort for the person to do that. I want to dig into that, but before we do, I just want to make sure that everybody knows that you're listening to Things Not Seen, and today we're talking to a frequent guest on our program, Rick Lee James. He's a singer-songwriter and a podcast producer and a speaker Speaker and a minister, and we're always happy to talk to him about whatever projects he's involved in, and today we're kind of talking about all of those things. So you were talking about this notion of forgiveness, and that, that forgiveness, if I heard you correctly, is almost like a physical effort on the part of the person who has been wronged, because the pain is so great. And that really reminds me a phrase that comes from a beloved soul that you and I both adore, and that is Mr. Rogers. And years ago, Mr. Rogers asked the question of his audience and then even had the opportunity to ask the question of the Congress of the United States at one point, the question, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And I want to ask you right now, how Mr. Rogers, who has been a part of the lives of so many in the United States. How can the words of Mr. Rogers and the thinking of Mr. Rogers and, dare I say, the ministry of Mr. Rogers speak to a moment like this that we're living in?
1: Yeah. I think the fact that you and I have talked about before, which, by the way, if, if listeners don't know, David is my co-host on a podcast that we do called Welcome to the Neighborhood of Mr. Rogers Tribute Podcast. And I'm, I'm still working on writing season two right now. But I think the words of Fred Rogers are so important because he had a way on his show of doing something I still can't quite wrap my head around. He had a way of talking to the viewer, whether it be children or parents or whoever was watching. And he had a way of talking to us that made us feel like we were being listened to. And I don't know how he got to that point other than he was very comfortable with silence and very comfortable with solitude and listening to people and helping people express their feelings. You know, on on his show and throughout his life, he did a lot to help people express their feelings. Uh, He wasn't one to just say, be nice. I think that is a fake image that people have in their minds of who Fred Rogers was. But I don't think there's any truth to that, just being like, oh, just be nice, be kind. Because he was all about helping people get to the root of what they were feeling and finding nonviolent and healthy ways to express whatever they were feeling. I've got a quote in front of me I, I just want to share really quick. It's about dealing with children on this because a lot of us right now are at home with our children. We really can't go anywhere because of the pandemic. And he said, our children will learn a lot about expressing their feelings by watching how we express ours. And we need to let them know that the violent expressions of anger that they see around them are not the way it has to be. Above all, we need to try to show our children that we love and value them. By doing so, we can help them learn that there is much in this world to love and value as well. And that goes for the people in it, too. What a great way to put that, David. I mean, I, I think if we can help people do what Fred did in some small way of, of helping us know it's okay to express our feelings. People need to be heard. I've heard a, a phrase so many times that people need to give, help give voice to the voiceless. Well, I, I don't think that's quite accurate. I think most all people have voices, and it's not that they're not speaking. They have the ability to talk, but not everybody has somebody listening to them. And I think if we can find ways to hopefully help people be heard, and again, if we get back to this idea of forgiveness, I don't know if it's going to happen until we can have people who have been offended against talk to the people who have offended them and know that those who have offended them so deeply are actually hearing what has hurt them so terribly and has hurt them so badly. And I don't know that Fred ever said it this way, but I think he would be okay with this way of talking about forgiveness in that it is welcoming a person back into their humanity. And that is such a gift that we can give someone. And I think Fred Rogers would make it all about the children right now. I know his his widow, Joanne, she has talked about that numerous times that he would be so concerned about children in this time. And let's face it, the children of today are the adults of tomorrow, and they are learning from us in this moment how they are to act. And uh, and I hope that we are instilling in our children the right things that they need to hear and are giving them ways to express as well.
0: And if folks have just tuned in, they may have been surprised that you would have a Fred Rogers quote just ready at your fingertips, <laughs> but but for listeners who may be unfamiliar with your work, you are... The curator behind the very popular Twitter feed Mr. Rogers Say, which is basically a collection constantly through the day and through the week of quotations from Mr. Rogers, how have people been reacting to the Mr. Rogers Say Twitter feed, both through the pandemic, but also particularly over the last few days with the protests and the riots in the various cities? What is what has your observation been about the way people have been receiving the words of Mr. Rogers? In these contexts.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? It's interesting you say that. I think a lot of people have been coming to that Twitter feed and have been getting a great deal of comfort from it through the pandemic because he does write a lot about solitude and how solitude doesn't have to necessarily be a lonely, thing. So I've been trying to, to find quotes that Fred Rogers said that has to do with solitude because many people are alone right now or even if they're with their family, they can feel very alone because they don't have a lot of the other relationships nearby to them. But it was interesting this past week when everything really erupted racially in our country once again. And we were dealing with with police violence and we were dealing with people who were very, very upset. I can't remember the exact Quote, and it wasn't really supposed to pertain to anything that day. But one of the quotes I put up had something to do with being a person of forgiveness or, or something to that extent or, or what it means to express our emotions in healthy ways. And I had several angry messages from people. How dare you put that on Today, you know, we're angry and we don't want healthy ways to express it. We want—I mean, it was almost like I was getting messages like, "We want blood." How dare you quote Mister Rogers to us today? You know, and that's the first time I've ever encountered angry people, and and I knew we were in a serious moment, David. When when I was getting messages from people like that. And literally all that that account is, it, it's very random. I just pick quotes out of quote books. I watch little different episodes of the show and I just find things that he said or things that pertain to Mr. Rogers. So I, I wasn't trying to necessarily speak into this situation at that moment. I wasn't trying to, to avoid it either. I was just trying to do what I do. I knew that if Mr. Rogers couldn't even soothe in this moment, we were in a big, a big problem. That spoke a lot to me. So I've been trying to be much more careful and selective over this last week about quotes that I will put. I I don't know that there is a bad Mr. Rogers quote, (laughs) but there are some that I think really can help us more than others right now. And so I've been, I've been posting things about grieving and sadness and and what to do with our anger and our grief. And I do think it's something that he would want is to help us find ways to, to channel our anger and our hurt into healthy ways. And like you had referred to earlier, things like his song, what do you do with the mad that you feel when you feel so mad, you can bite. And, and I actually think it was that quote that, set people off, because I think people didn't want to pound some clay or or hit some dough or things like that. I think in that moment, as we've talked about before, they were having an imprecatory psalm moment. They wanted blood. And again, we can acknowledge that. And and it was important for me to let people know, it's okay, you're feeling that, but please don't act on it. You know, Please try to find some constructive ways to get this out. At the same time, here I am, I'm just trying to do something with the legacy of Fred Rogers that honors him, and and I'm I'm hoping that he's able to bring some comfort. It hasn't been like that with any volatility over the last few days on that account. I've actually had a lot of grateful people who have been messaging me and just saying thank you for sharing these words from Fred. We need them. But the Mr. Rogers account has kind of helped me keep a pulse on the moment we're in.
0: And as you've been keeping that pulse, it sounds like I had never thought about the way in which the reactions could really be a barometer for the kind of cultural moment that we're in. It's fascinating to me that the harsh reaction, what you said, the sort of imprecatory psalm moment of like, we don't want to go pound some clay, we want to we want to break some bones, basically, mm-hmm. that, that it hadn't occurred to me, first of all, that you would have that kind of reaction, but... I, I am hearing you saying that that reaction told you so much about the qualitative difference about mm-hmm. the moment that we're in. And first of all, have I just heard that correctly, that, that you took that as, as a real indicator that we've maybe turned a corner here? And if if I have heard you correctly, what do you think that means?
1: Yeah, I, I do think it's, it's an indicator, and I had not necessarily thought about it as a cultural indicator before. But yes, I, I do think we can see some of that for sure. Mr. Rogers seems to be almost universally loved and he has a dare I even say prophetic voice to people still to this day. He could say things and people and can even say things to people now, all these years after he's passed away, just through things he wrote, through things he said on TV. And it has such a way of disarming people. And in that moment when we when we all saw that horrible tape of that murder. I think it did make something snap in a lot of people. And again, I'm so glad that we haven't seen a a lot of violence or, or killing since that moment. But I think people were almost mad enough to do it. And I wish I knew the best way to help in situations like this. I wish I could find some magical Fred Rogers quote to put up and it would make everything better for those people who are feeling those things. But the fact is, sometimes we just have to live through these moments and work for something more. And I think he would want us to work for that. Uh, Fred Rogers was about doing some hard things at times. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, i you know become friends with, with Francois Clemens, Officer Clemens, and I had him on the, the, the podcast, the Welcome to the Neighborhood podcast. And, and he spoke about just the way that, that Fred was so empowering to him. And the way that for him, he saw police officers as something evil, because where he grew up, the police were not nice, and they did not treat black people well. So he was offended at first when Fred Rogers asked him uh, if he would play a police officer on the show. But he said Fred got him to do it, and he said it just it just made such a, a difference in the way that he even looked at law enforcement, and that law enforcement looked at him. And we all know that beautiful moment uh, it actually happened twice on the on mr rogers neighborhood where he invites francois clemens officer clemens to come over and share this wading pool and and stick your feet in because it's hot you know and, and this water feels awfully good and we know at that time there was uh, a real problem with race in our nation even then and there was uh, incidents where people were throwing acid into swimming pools to get black people out of the pool because they didn't want uh, anybody but whites in their swimming pools. And and Fred made that choice, I'm going to invite him to my pool and we're going to stick our feet in. And the thing that I find so moving about the second time when they did that on the show years later for Officer Clemens' last episode, it wasn't just that he invited François Clemens in—he actually almost embodied Jesus washing feet because he got the towel and and he dried off François's feet. And François talked to me about that, some on the podcast and some off, just when we were on the phone. And and it still moves him to this day. I I think that is such an important moment in maybe history right now that we need to remember. I know it's television history. But it feels like something so powerful. And again, I wonder if it's if it's all comes back to listening to the other and listening to people who have been othered and have been made to be the bad guy when they are not. And it might be that that is the best way forward is for us to figuratively, maybe literally sometimes learn how to be people who wash each other's feet.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt, and we're speaking today with a frequent guest on the program, Rick Lee James. He's a worship leader, singer, songwriter, speaker, author, and podcast host. And we will be back in a moment. Hey, folks, this is David. Thank you for listening, and thank you for supporting the work that I do. As you're probably aware, in addition to this show, I help produce a number of other programs about culture and faith. One of them is the Commonweal podcast, produced by my friends over at Commonweal Magazine. For almost a century now, Commonweal has staked a claim for Catholic principles and perspectives in American life and for lay people's voices within the church. Their podcast features a wide spectrum of voices discussing art, politics, religion, and civil society. Each episode offers three or four segments that amplify the pages of the print magazine and move into new frontiers. I've been a reader of Commonweal for a long time, and I'm thrilled to share this new podcast with you, whether you're a long-time reader yourself or just discovering it for the first time. You can find the Commonweal podcast on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts, as well as on their website, commonwealmagazine.org slash podcast. That's commonwealmagazine.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. Today we're talking with Rick Lee James. He's been on our program before. You'll recall he's a worship leader, a singer-songwriter, a speaker, an author, and he hosts the podcast Voices in My Head and also the Mr. Rogers-themed podcast Welcome to the Neighborhood. We've been talking about a variety of subjects today well we were talking just a moment ago about the impact of mr rogers and i think now i want to shift a little bit because l- lately you have launched yet another twitter feed and that is a twitter feed that has to do with the comic book character superman and so <laughs> let me let me ask you what are you doing with that and what do you what's the plan
1: you know what? I it's just totally for fun, to be perfectly honest with you. It's something I don't have to put a lot of thought into. Um, I've always been a big fan of comic books, but especially Superman. And I think the reason I, I like Superman so much is Superman works best as a character when he is somebody like your dad, you know, he's sort of the embodiment of, of someone who's teaching you right lessons he's he's not like Batman who's brooding and and you know (laughs) skulking around and and is going to you know make the bad guys pay Superman seems to be such a uh, an icon of you know for lack of a a better term the one that's used for him of truth and justice and uh, so that Twitter feed it doesn't have very many followers right now but it's just totally for fun I think I just call it Superman always, but it comes up as Rick Lee James 4. But it's interesting sometimes to watch the intersection that uh, pop culture figures like him have in moments like this, because you see a lot of things, even back to say the World War II era, um, there's a lot of comic book covers that have to do with the war that was going on at the time. and, uh, And there's several things that DC comics or at the time it was national publications that they put out that were very much messages against xenophobia, messages against racism, messages against bullying. It's interesting to see those in that time and so every now and then I'll I'll post just old ads and things like that that Superman is in. But it's also just completely for fun too. If I if I find something I find interesting like like an old ad for Superman peanut butter or, you know, Superman hot cocoa videos, things like that. So it's nothing I'm, you know, I don't see it as anything that's going to change the world, but it's really just a fun outlet for me where, um, you know, Twitter can make me very angry at times and uh, probably angrier than, than it should, but it's kind of my happy safe place where I can just post things for fun and remember that there is still an ideal, of truth and an ideal of justice and an idea of of being heroic
0: but that's one of the things that I love about you, Rick Lee, James, is that you are always wanting to figure out a way to navigate to the positive. That's inspiring to me as I have, uh, as I have had this friendship with you through the years. But I want to linger for a moment on Superman because I think that there's, there's more here than you may be giving yourself credit for. Because one of the things that strikes me about Superman is not just the values of kind of truth, justice, and the American way. But what I've thought about with regard to Superman is that basically at any moment, Superman is the strongest person in a fight in most of Mm -hmm. the comic book scenarios. And so it's not about being the toughest. It's about figuring out in that moment how to bring the right amount of strength and restrain the rest of the strength so that it's the right response to that moment. And I can't think of a better image for us, particularly over these past few days, than power learning to limit itself so that others are not hurt. And what we have seen again and again is a kind of almost intoxication with power in the video images from the various cities, particularly of those who not only have Armor, literally armor, and weapons that are designed to not necessarily kill, but certainly to incapacitate or to mm-hmm. or to uh, irritate. But also, you see literally things like tanks rolling through ro- rolling yeah. through streets. So let's—I'd be interested in your thoughts on how the gospel and how Superman and how other sorts of images like maybe even Mr. Rogers invite us to limit our power for the good of the others that are around us and for the betterment of a situation.
1: Yeah, no that's that's a great observation and I I do think that Superman actually embodies a, a term that we see from Jesus uh, when when he talks about blessed are the meek because meekness if you really look up the definition of the word it it doesn't mean weakness or being a mild kind of a milksop type person like I think we often think that word means it would be better defined I think as I've studied the word meekness as being defined as controlled power like you had just mentioned it's it's very common in Superman comics, when he's fighting someone, his internal monologue we get to see in the thought bubble is, I have to hold my punch back. I could kill this guy if I'm not careful, you know, and I have to make sure I don't injure them too badly, which I I think that's fascinating, the idea that he exists only to help those who need help. And he doesn't even want to be a, an agent of wrath. He wants to, he wants to stop the person from doing the evil they're doing, but he doesn't want to hurt him beyond what's necessary. And I, I think sometimes we forget what a virtue that is. We don't get a lot of that language from some of our leaders right now. Uh, we, we get a lot more about, you know, use a little extra force, uh, you know, hurt them if necessary. Even last night, I mean, what a tragic, thing that we saw last night um, and and the Bible being used as a prop um, by the president while just before he walked out, you know, they're they're tear gassing crowds, a peaceful gathering of people. And it was not an instance of this happening. It wasn't an instance of meekness. It was was an instance of I'm going to use all my power against you just so I can have a photo op and thankfully a lot of ministers have have been speaking out on that and saying you know that's not what the embodiment of Jesus is it's not the way of of Christ and hopefully we can faithfully speak into those moments but i think one thing i'm learning too is i don't know if this pertains to superman and maybe it's more to fred rogers but i think the idea that we are sacrificing relationships because of what we feel another person is thinking on a certain issue, um, we see this a lot in the theology world. You know, we discount other theologians because they don't believe the same way that we do. Um, you know, well, your theory on creation stupid, so I'm going to dismiss you, and I don't even want to be your friend. You know, uh, we do this in politics, where, well, I, I think your politics are wrong, and so thus you're the enemy, and you're evil, and I can hate you for that. And and I think about what a terrible thing that must be in the heart of God, who didn't wait for us to know all the right things before he revealed himself to us. The divine gave us revelation of who God was, and we're still figuring out what that means. I don't know that we'll ever have all the right answers, but if, if Jesus can be one who condescends that way, and comes and eats not only at the homes of the Pharisees, who were the religious people of the day, and also hang out and have fellowship with the sinners at the same time. Uh, and in Jesus' eyes, I'm sure none of them had it right. <laughs> but he wasn't willing to sacrifice right relationship for rightness in their eyes all the time. And I hope that makes sense. But but I, I think we are way too much Sacrificing what could be robust relationships with people because of a certain way that they think or believe that is different from ours. And I think Fred Rogers, especially, maybe Superman too, I think he probably would too, but as a real life person, Fred Rogers, I think he would encourage us to strive for those robust relationships much more than just being right all the time. And that's a really hard thing to do, but he, he always encouraged us to make the good attractive. And, uh, and we want to be people who, I think, who will plant so many good seeds into the world. And, and as I heard Andrew Peterson say last night in a speech online, he, he said, pull the weeds of injustice and evil, plant so much beauty that it chokes out the poison. And I hope that we can be about that. I think Fred Rogers and Superman both could get behind that. Pull the weeds of injustice and evil and plant so much beauty that it chokes out the poison.
0: If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalton, and we're speaking today with Rick Lee James. He's a worship leader, singer, songwriter, speaker, author, and podcast host. We're talking about a range of topics today in light of the COVID-19 pandemic and the events uh, of the weekend of May 30th and 31st. Well, so in our final minutes together, I want to turn the conversation back to you and ask, kind of as a minister, as a father, as a creative person, what are you doing in the midst of these times, both with the sheltering in place and also with the heartbreak of of having those in your congregation who are caught in the middle of both the pain of loss around these protests and the violence, but also those in your congregation who are on the police force who who are trying to navigate being basically agents of the state? What are you, Rick Lee James, doing for
1: self-care in these moments? Well, that that's a great question, David. <laughs> I wish I had a really good answer. I've been trying to take care of myself and that I've still been trying to exercise, go out and run every day, and, and that does relieve a lot of stress. I wish I could say, you know, well, I've taken the time being at home that, you know, I've just been so creative and I've, I've written, you know, 25 different songs a week, you know, <laughs> or something. But it just hasn't been the reality. I feel like we've been so busy and so under the load from so many different directions. Uh, I feel like in some ways it's it's squelched a lot of that creativity. But one thing I am doing is I am continuing. I have been doing this for years now. Uh, every morning when I wake up, the first thing I do is I have a rather l- lengthy rite of prayer that I go through and it, it takes some time to do every morning. But after I do this prayer ride and I go through the daily scriptures, I find that it does give me a center and a focus. Some days I listen better than others. But what I'm trying to do in those moments is using things like written prayers and doing them every day and being consistent about them is I'm, I'm trying to learn how to pray And I know I don't always have the best words, but I'm trying to do that. I am trying to to take some time to to do some fun things, you know, in the evening. A lot of times after my my son goes to bed, my wife and I try to watch some movies. And, you know, I've been been watching personally a lot of Star Trek lately, which has just been kind of fun to dive into. (laughs) But even in a show like that, they get into like social issues so often. You find yourself thinking through big issues of the day at the same time. So I don't know that I have any any key to anything I'm doing for self-care other than I'm, I'm trying my best to have Sabbath where I can take it but boy doesn't it feel David like it's hard to find those moments of Sabbath even though you're home all the time <laughs> like I've, have you experienced that being a challenge?
0: Absolutely and you've just hit upon a constant conversation in our family and that's like we've spent the whole day in the same house but we have had probably less time together than we had when we were all having active lives outside the house like we have to be very intentional sometimes about slowing down and actually making time to listen to one another and to be with one another because you get exhausted and so mm-hmm. even though you're you're largely just sitting still. Well I've got sort of one final question for you and it's this where do you think that God is in all of this with the pandemic and also with the eruptions of kind of economic catastrophe and violence over the past few days? A cynic might say, well, God has simply turned God's back on us. I have a sense that you're not going to give me the cynical response, so I'm very interested in where you are seeing God's activity in the
1: world now. Well, Man, that's a good question, David. You always ask such good, thought-provoking questions. I think last week, God was on the ground being choked to death by a police officer. I think that God right now is sitting and weeping with a lot of weeping families. I think God is righteously angry with some people who are going through some real anger issues in their life. And they are right to have these feelings of anger. And I think God is also the one who is doing his best uh, in the hospital rooms, trying to help people who are suffocating to death with COVID-19. I think God is also the one that is suffering with (laughs) COVID-19. And all that is to say, I, I think of Ellie Vassell's book, Night, where Everyone's looking at the gallows where people are being hanged in a Nazi prison camp. And someone says, Where is God? And they they say someone says God is there hanging on the gallows. And I don't mean that in any way as to say, and I'm not even entirely sure what Ellie Vassell meant, but the way I take that is we have such a deeply incarnational God, and we see such a a deeply caring and concerned God who is not pulled himself away from our sufferings, we see in the cross a God who loved us so much that he would come and absorb the wrath and the anger and the hurt and the pain and the sin of every man, woman, and child who would ever be on the planet. And he would absorb all those things on the cross for us. And he would come back and say, I love you and I forgive you with arms outstretched, and I think doing the work of God in the world is to try to enter into those places as well. People may not always name that as God when they see the doctors and nurses on the front line, and they not, may not always name it as God when they see people fighting against injustice and, and in the dying. But I think very much if we believe in, in what Jesus says about himself, he says, I am with you even to the end of the age. And I think he's with us, and he is guiding us and moving I don't think he's, as some would say, powerless in this moment. I think God is doing things that we can't see. And the very fact that there is still love in this world is evidence to me that this loving God is existing and working and moving. And the fact that people could even venture to forgive some of the great atrocities that we have seen to me is evidence that God is real and God is with us. I I just believe that in my heart.
0: Well, Rick Lee James, not only do you bring beauty into the world through your music and through your writing... But what, one of the things I just love about you is how you actively go searching for beauty in the world and you collect it and you you gather it and you share it with other people. And I really feel like you've done that in this conversation. You've, you've brought from many, many different streams, from the stream of Mr. Rogers, from the stream of your ministry, from the stream of the scriptures, from the stream of Superman. And we've managed mm-hmm. to find a way. You've given me some hope in this moment that I didn't have when I started out in the conversation. Really mm-hmm. glad for you. You to take some time to talk to me today and to share that conversation with our listeners. I'm just grateful for that and I'm grateful for you. Thank you for being here today.
1: Well, thank you, David. It's always such an honor to get to visit with you. Thank you.
0: We've been speaking today with Rick Lee James. He's been on the show several times before. You may recall that he's a worship leader. He's a singer and songwriter. He's a speaker and author, and he's a podcast host. He hosts not only the Voices in My Head podcast, where he interviews luminaries from the faith world and the entertainment world, but he also hosts and curates the uh, Mr. Rogers Say Twitter feed and hosts the Welcome to the Neighborhood Mr. Rogers Tribute podcast. Our show is made possible in part by the generosity of supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio.